Today we're going to dive into equity markets, which have seen a tumultuous and fairly disappointing first few months of 2022. Investor sentiment has slumped on the back of a land war in Ukraine, more hawkish and aggressive Federal Reserve, and rising and persistent inflation. But amidst all these challenges, is current extremely bearish investor sentiment warranted? To help provide some insight on this, I've invited Andrew Tyler, head of US market intelligence at JP Morgan's investment bank, to join me today. Drew started his career working in macro research at the Federal Reserve before working in equities, multi-asset trading, and global macro research on Wall Street. So, Drew, welcome to Insights Now. Thank you very much for having me, David. Uh, so, I guess to start with, we've seen uh, quite a lot of volatility so far this year, and particularly in the last few weeks. Um, what do you think has been driving this volatility? I think it's a couple things. I think the first is not just the Fed starting to, to hike rates. I think it's also the uncertainty surrounding the kind of what they're going to do with their balance sheet. And this is spilled over into the bond market, which is also pulling up volatility in the equity markets. And I think that just the, the combination of are we end of cycle, you know, is inflation going to be run away? Is the Fed going to tighten us into a recession? And what do we do with equity valuations? Like that all uncertainty mosaic is what's leading to the broader market volatility. And so uh, we recently got uh, a first look at real GDP for the first quarter, and we've got a negative number. And I know uh, trade and inventories were a significant part of why we got a negative number. But the, the fact that the economy actually shrank in the first quarter what do you think that signals to us about the U.S. economy? I think it's a couple of things. The first thing that stood out to me is that consumption still remained pretty high, that businesses are still investing. And to your point on trade, it's not that you saw a consumer slowing down. It's that there was insufficient domestic production to supply that demand. And so you saw import surge about 18%. But you hit the nail on the head. It is very much a surprise that we saw a slowdown in the first quarter. And I do wonder how much of this could be attributed to the Omicron variant that you know did slow a number of things down in terms of uh, spending, the transition from you know being at home to going outside and that reopening trade that everybody speaks about. Uh, but ultimately, coming off a very strong Q4 of last year, where we saw a lot of inventory build, I think the decline of that, and as well as the combination of consumers buying non-U.S. goods, is really what propelled that negative negative print. So going forward, I still look for the consumer to remain very healthy and to also supplement that health with a very strong business uh, investment environment too. So I, I think I know how you're going to answer this then, but the last few months, investor sentiment has been pretty gloomy. Do you think that's, that that gloom is warranted? Uh, to a certain extent, I do, because I, I feel that there's just a lot of uncertainty because we really haven't had a number of situations where inflation has run this high, where we've we've teed up the Fed to be very, very aggressive in its behavior, while at the same time trying to reduce its balance sheets. And so you combine that with the behavior that we saw kind of the tail end of last year with some of your riskier parts of equity markets. So I'm specifically thinking about unprofitable tech, I'm thinking about uh, SPACs, IPOs, even crypto to a certain extent, all reacting very negatively to an acceleration in the Fed trying to, to reduce its balance sheet. Uh, and I think, you know, that has really triggered, uh, you know, a number of, like not just uncertainty, but as soon as you start to see the snowball effect of we're down 6%, now we're down 10, now 15, uh, it's very tough to kind of get that, you know, out of the investor psychology. And then the minute that you start to hear people discuss a recession, 
that, in my view, is extremely difficult to break because now we're setting up for an environment where even though the markets are very forward looking, we actually need to see the data of an improving economy with inflation that's not run away, I think, for investors to feel more confident and putting money back to work, at least within equity markets. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the Federal Reserve. And, and of course, uh, we've just heard from the Fed at their May meeting, and we've seen the 10-year Treasury actually go through uh, and above 3% for the first time since uh, 2018. Do you think the markets have fully priced in whatever hawkishness we actually end up seeing from the Fed? So, yes and no. I, I think on one hand, uh, the markets have fully priced in the amount of rate hikes and basically that cadence for this year. We're coming into yesterday's meeting. They had priced in four consecutive 50 basis point hikes. I think a lot of the uncertainty comes from how do we react to uh, an extreme amount of quantitative tightening, i.e. the balance sheet being reduced? And I think that's where we're still trying to figure out uh, how to read and react. But it's interesting because you've really seen markets get ahead of themselves in terms of the behavior of this. And so what I'm thinking about specifically is the mortgage market, where coming into yesterday's hike, we had actually seen mortgage rates go up, you know, a little over 2%. And we had only hiked 25 basis points, which is pretty astonishing. Uh, and I think that this goes to show that several markets are reacting very differently to the Fed's behavior. Uh, so, you know, where do we go from here? I think it's, it's going to be, we need to see the Fed, and I think they did a good job of this yesterday, really flagging what their intentions are going to be, that we're going to get two more of these large rate hikes, that they're going to do a subdued amount of balance sheet reduction until they get through those hikes. And then after that, they're going to really see what they can do from the balance sheet from there. And I think that the Fed's also trying to test the waters for how much financial markets and thus the economy can digest for their behavior. And so a couple of things that I do watch are financial conditions, indications from you know the Chicago Fed, as well as mortgage rates uh, more broadly and credit spreads. So obviously we're, we're looking at the Fed is signaling uh, higher short-term rates. And as, as you've mentioned, the market's already pricing on a lot in terms of higher long-term interest rates. But if you look at the equity market overall, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. higher rates aren't great, but are there any particular sectors which are particularly vulnerable? And I suppose, are there any sectors that are actually going to be helped by this? Yeah. So in terms of vulnerability, the first thought is going to be the tech sector, because so many of the companies within tech are companies that are very early in their life stage. So they're not necessarily producing a strong amount of profits. And so typically you see an inverse relationship between how yields move and how those companies will behave in terms of prices. Uh, one very interesting sector that should be reacting very positively to higher rates as financials. And it really hasn't, which is very interesting to me because I think on one hand, higher rates and a steeper yield curve is very positive for banks and how they make money. On the other hand, what the market's also telling you by banks underperforming, in my view, is that there's very real concerns that we hit a recession, maybe tail end of this year or very early into 2023. And that cyclicality is really what's making banks kind of underperform. And, and, and I'm sorry. No, I was, I was going to say, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a steeper yield curve. But if you listen to the Fed, it's not going to be steep for long. <laughs> no. Uh, and it's, yeah, exactly. It's the, the, because it, typically what we do see is in a tightening cycle, the yield curve goes higher, but then it starts to flatten out as the short-term rates uh, catch up in terms of the, the, the yield as their longer-term uh, you know, components. So uh, agreed. And then one other sector I, I thought that's been kind of somewhat surprising, too, 
are things such as real estate, which actually should not be benefiting from higher rates, but has actually have held up pretty well year to date. And I think part of that is, is the again, the investor fear and, and trying to put money into more defensive sectors as kind of defined by a little bit higher cash flows, a little bit higher dividend payments, even though they will take a potentially higher hit to revenue through higher rates. Well, and, and of course, one of the one of the keys to equity market performance is interest rates. But perhaps even more important is earnings. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, continue to look at it from the perspective of sectors. Now that we're about three quarters of the way through the earnings season, what have been some of the key themes that you've seen in earnings? Yeah. So the first thing that stands out is that all companies have basically shown that demand remains very robust. And then almost universally, there is going to be the inflationary pressures. On one hand, it's the inputs from commodity-based uh, price in, uh, increases. But on the other hand, it's also labor. And I think you've seen this for some certain companies uh, kind of within the, uh, the travel segment, not necessarily the airlines, but more of kind of like your taxi alternatives that have really kind of hit the nail on the head that there is a, a labor supply constraint where they want to hire more. There just aren't bodies available. And I think we continue to see this in the macro data, too, where earlier this week we had you know data that showed us that there's 11 and a half million jobs that are open. And we still have a very like historically, like almost near historically low unemployment rate, while we still have people who had been in the labor uh, force prior to COVID who have yet to return. And I think this sets up another conundrum for the Fed, too, is what inducements do we have to bring people back in the labor force? Because if we bring that labor supply back online, then maybe that helps alleviate some of the, the wage growth inflation as well. Okay, so pivoting over to one other thing that's very important for earnings, apart from labor costs and, and, and overall growth, um, is the dollar. I mean, we've seen the dollar strengthening tremendously so far this year. What sort of an impact is that having on, on earnings? Yeah, so increasingly, I think it's going to become a headwind for U.S. earnings. So you look at something like the S&P, where roughly a little over a third of the revenue comes from outside the U.S., the stronger that dollar moves the more pressure you're going to put on those earnings. And so then what this could do is shift you from looking at some of your largest cap companies to maybe something that's a little bit more tied to U.S. growth, which has been another kind of driver of U.S. dollar strength is that growth differential or perceived growth differential between the U.S., Europe, U.K., Japan, and rest of Asia. Uh, And then as we start to think about stocks more globally, that you know, a stronger dollar actually can be uh, you know a detriment to emerging market uh, bets. Uh, and if you're looking at plays such as you know, I would say I would put the the emerging markets in one of two buckets. One would be the commodity exporters, which have done very well in this environment with higher inflation, and then everybody else within emerging markets, which are stand to kind of continue to to to, to fail to attract investments due to the strength of the dollar. Um. So going back to the outlook on, on markets more generally, what do you think it would take to materially improve investor sentiment from here? Yes. So great question. And this is the one, the one that I get a lot. Uh, so I think it's a couple of things. I think first is we need to prove that growth still exists. And I would look at this through PMI data. I would look at this through aggregate earnings periods. And then we need to see growth happening at the same time that we see inflation decreasing. And so we do get a CPI print next week, but that's not going to be enough in my view. I think you're probably going to need to see two or three consecutive prints of material, uh, materially lower inflation for people to get you know, a little bit more comfortable. And then when you think about the next earnings season kicks off kind of middle end of July, then really what we're talking about is a very summertime period where we could be very sideways range bound in stocks. 
before you get that uh, bull thesis really intact. Um, yeah, and, um, I guess finally, investors are obviously having a hard time feeling comfortable about putting new money to work, uh, given all the stuff that's going on. What would you say to investors in terms of opportunities? If we are now mid to late cycle in terms of this economic expansion, where are there some significant opportunities? Yeah, so I would say that even in kind of the mid to late cycle, there still tends to be a, a runway higher within stocks. And typically, if people are going to look at a yield curve inversion as a trigger, and what I mean by that is the two-year yield is higher than the 10-year yield as a, as a trigger point that many investors will look at to kind of see how long do I have before a recession is going to come. And that's typically a 12 to 18-month pathway. But in those 12 to 18 months, stocks tend to perform pretty well. And so I think the keys that people want to continue to watch is if the U.S. growth hits a reboot and, you know, what some of the things you can look at are going to be credit card spending data, which remains robust. We're seeing this within the travel stocks. Uh, you want to see business investment remaining robust. It seems likely that we're going to see government spending come back online uh, as well. So if the economy does, you know, remains in check from here, and I think for, for we're thinking that you're probably still going to have an above trend. And what I mean by that is above 2% GDP growth, then if we have remained above 2% GDP, we have, you know, earnings doing relatively well, then I think this really sets us up to, to rebound a lot of the losses that we've experienced this year. Well, well, thank you for joining us, Drew. And, and thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. Take care. Please tune into our next episode, when I'll be joined by my colleague, Mira Pandit, Global Market Strategist for JP Morgan Asset Management, for a conversation on the federal budget deficit and what higher inflation, higher interest rates, and the upcoming midterms might mean for the fiscal outlook. Until then, I invite you to read or listen to my notes on the Week Ahead podcast, where every Monday I share commentary on the latest in the markets and the economy to help you stay informed for the week ahead. For even more timely insights, you can also follow and subscribe to my content on LinkedIn. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions in current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.